following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. I am excited about what the Lord wants to release today. As Pastor Dave said, this is, I'm sorry, this is going to be what you get today. As Pastor Dave said, this is a significant week for us in celebration. The beginning of all that occurred in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Some of his richest teachings, some of his most challenging teachings occurred during this week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Day. And um, I just encourage you to, you know, even consider finding a a reading plan or or just read through the events of this week, throughout the week, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you deeper revelation of what this really meant. Because I believe that there is something in the Spirit that wants to help us grab hold of something in a deeper way than we have ever grabbed hold of it. I feel just the wind of the Spirit on that, that we would go beyond what we've always understood of Palm Sunday and, and the, the Last Supper and, and um, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I believe that there is something even today in us talking about the King and his kingdom that we are actually going to usher in some aspects of his kingdom that we haven't fully stepped into yet. That's the reality of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, that there is, um, there is a progressive revelation of his kingdom that's coming to us. That's why we can say his kingdom has come, his kingdom is coming, and his kingdom is going to come in its fullness. And I feel like in our glory-to-glory moments that he's leading us into, there is a progressive revelation of the increase of his kingdom in our lives. And so that's what we're giving ourselves to in this week. So this is uh, an important week for us. We need to also remember that this was in the day of Jesus and still to this day, this was an important week in the Jewish calendar for the Jewish people that, that This was a week that already had all kinds of feast and ceremony going on. And that was the landscape for which Jesus entered the city. And so what I want to do is just to help us connect to some of that, because I think it's an an important aspect of us understanding the fullness of what Jesus came to do. That when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there was already a whole lot of stuff going on that to some degree he was coming in to bring an interruption to. (laughs) When he came into Jerusalem, it was already like a beehive with all kinds of things going on, all kinds of activity. There were people coming into the city for this, this celebration of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Jesus came into the city and it was like somebody hit the beehive with a stick. This is what we're looking at as we come into Holy Week. 
And so I want us to kind of understand the context of this so we can worship from that place of understanding, from that place of really knowing what was happening in that time. So let's start with just reading the account in Matthew chapter 21. Starting with verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will, se- he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is what Pastor Dave read out of Zechariah this morning. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them, and he brought the donkey and the colt, and and they laid their coats on them, And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed, they were all shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So this is the account in the Gospel of Matthew. There is an account uh, in all four Gospels of the triumphal entry. I chose Matthew because Matthew's version is the most Jewish version. If we remember, each of the Gospels were written to different audiences, So sometimes, this is just an aside, sometimes we can read the account of things and we can feel like they're not in full agreement with one another in the gospel. And it's not so much they're not in full agreement. For example, in each of the gospels, what the crowd was shouting is a little bit different. The words are a little bit different. And so part of you goes, well, what was it? What were they shouting? We should keep in mind that it was a large crowd shouting. They were probably shouting a lot of things. They were probably shouting. Have you ever been at a football game? Does everybody shout the exact same cheer? No, probably not. But there is an absolute agreement that they were shouting Hosanna, that they were calling him king, that they were ushering in his kingdom. They were blessing the day that the king was coming. And so we, we see in the Gospels these different aspects Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and so he most often uses Jewish language. He most often, without explaining it, because it's written to those who know. Mark will often uh, explain the Jewish references because he wasn't necessarily writing to an only Jewish language or uh, audience. So when there's something that happens that you need to understand Jewishly, Mark will say, this is because... And the Jews would be like, duh. But we would go, oh, thank you, that's really helpful. (laughs) 
Luke was a Gentile writing to Gentiles. So he left off the word Hosanna altogether because it has no meaning to Gentiles. It has meaning to the Jews, the ones who were looking for a deliverer, who had shouted Hosanna when Solomon came in as king. And John, I'm not really sure exactly who John's writing to all the time, but John definitely focuses on Jesus being the Christ. John is actually the shortest account of this, of this part of the story, but he gives us some details that are helpful. And so I encourage you again, if you want to read throughout this week, look at different accounts. Luke's is going to be the most chronological because Luke was very scientific in his thinking, and so that'll give you a good chronological view. But I encourage you to read it from different accounts and see what the Lord, what sticks out to you and what he's showing you. Okay, that has nothing to do with anything. So he had left Jericho before he was coming into uh, Jerusalem. And it tells us that there was a large crowd following him. Now, there were large crowds already coming into Jerusalem because they were coming to celebrate Passover. But it makes it clear... It's not just he was walking amongst a large crowd. It makes it clear that from Jericho on, there had been this crowd that had amassed to follow Jesus. And John tells us that the reason this is, is because the, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And this was an important... Hello? Um, did, did you hear the knock, or was that just me? Okay, good. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, this was... <laughs> This was an important, uh, an important point because people were beginning to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He had, be, he had already begun to make the assertion that he was the Son of God. He had already begun to make the assertion when it says, um, he has anointed me to give freedom to the captives, and he said, yep, that's me. I'm the one that was prophesied about. And so then with the miracles that were happening, the signs and wonders, primarily this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, the, a large crowd had begun to follow him. They began to believe that he was who he said he was. And so he and all of this large crowd are heading into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Uh, the historian Josephus estimates that probably the city had at least a million people that came into it during this time. I haven't been to Jerusalem. That's on my list still. Um, but that's a lot of people for that little town. And so there was, a lot, there was a lot of activity all going on. He had begun to be uh, revered as the one who just might be the Messiah. But the reality was he was also talking about the fact that he would be crucified. He had already begun to say, I am going to be crucified. He had already begun to, to talk about that, but somehow I don't think they were quite catching that reality. They were focused on the reality of him coming as a conquering king. And we need to recognize that there are times when we can... Um, take a spiritual reality and begin to think about it in a very earthly way. 
And that's what I believe was kind of happening in that day for some of them. I don't think it's fair to say that that was happening for all of them. I believe that there were people in that crowd shouting Hosanna who actually stayed true to their declaration of who he was. They may not have done it openly. I believe that there were Pharisees who believed who he was. Scripture says they didn't do it openly, even though they believed, because they feared man more than they feared God. But, but there, there was many that were taking this spiritual reality and thinking about it in a very earthly way. And so when they're looking at him as a deliverer, all they can think of is, you're going to overthrow Rome, and we're going to be free of this oppression. They were looking at this situation rather than the larger kingdom that he was coming to bring. But anyhow, they are following him, and they are worshiping him as he's coming into Jerusalem. The other thing that we see is the significance of the donkey, that he was riding not even just on a donkey, but on the colt of a donkey. It's not a donkey, it's like a baby donkey. And there was something in this that was significant. Um, Number one, for the fulfillment of the prophecy, that he would come gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But the other aspect was that a king who would ride into a city on a donkey was making a declaration that he was coming and bringing peace, not war. If a king rode into a city on a horse, he was making a declaration that I am coming in and I'm bringing war. I'm making war. Now, we need to remember that there is a time that Jesus is going to ride in on a horse. But praise God that he came on a donkey. That he came to bring a kingdom of peace and give us an opportunity to step into the fullness of that. So this was not a foreign concept to the Jews. This was not a foreign concept to them because King Solomon, a thousand years earlier, had rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And it was a joyous thing when a king rode in with a kingdom of peace. That was a joyous thing because war is bad. That was not joyous to people because they knew what that would mean. (laughs) But it was a joyous thing when somebody would ride in and say, I am ushering in a kingdom of peace. And so to them, they're looking back at the good old days of Solomon's reign and they're believing he's going to restore that kingdom. Oh, for it to be as it was in the reign of Solomon. But what's true is he actually came to bring a better kingdom. And this is another place that I want us to step into today and to be willing to receive. There's a, there is a place where we're saying, Lord, we want you to bring a particular kingdom. And there's a place where he's saying, I have a better kingdom that I want to bring. Can you perceive it? Can you receive it with the knowledge? He has a better kingdom. He'd been speaking about the kingdom all along. It says he'd been preaching and pronouncing 
and saying the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And a lot of it had a lot to do with humility and love. And yet they were kind of locked into this paradigm of what they anticipated. Oftentimes Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. A lot of them didn't have ears to hear. We have ears to hear. What kind of kingdom are you bringing, Jesus? What is the better kingdom that you're bringing? In Luke's account, it says that Jesus stopped outside Jerusalem. So he had mounted, gotten the donkey at Bethphage and ridden it, which is, it's like Bethany and then Bethphage and then Jerusalem. And he had ridden it and it says he stopped before the entrance of Jerusalem where he, he was overlooking Jerusalem. And it says he wept over Jerusalem and he said, if you had known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. So Jesus even knew that they were unable to see. I believe it was even literally hidden from their eyes. I've been very critical of the worshipers that shouted Hosanna and then shouted crucify him. But the reality was it was hidden from their eyes. But it's not hidden from our eyes. He came as the Prince of Peace. And he came to be, to bring a kingdom. I feel like part of what they were doing was saying, come and be the king of our kingdom. And I believe we sometimes make that invitation to Jesus, come and be the king of our kingdom. And he says, oh no, <laughs> I have a kingdom that I have established. And you're not of this kingdom, but you can be. And here's the way, now come into my kingdom. It's a nuanced view, but he's inviting us into his kingdom. It's not the other way around. When we are worshiping him today, we're not inviting, like, come and come into our kingdom and be king. There is an aspect of that where we're inviting him into our, our hearts it feels really restrictive for him to come be king of my kingdom. <laughs> I would much rather step into his kingdom and his lordship. So as much as we look at it and say this is an invitation to him, it's actually an invitation to us to hail him as king and be willing to invite his kingdom to come rule and reign in our lives. It's subtle, but it's important. John tells us that even the disciples didn't fully understand. It says these things his disciple did not, disciples did not understand at first, but when he was glorified, meaning several days after everything had taken place, when he was glorified and he ascended, when he was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things. So even what he's saying there, even when he told them to go get the donkey, even they didn't quite understand 
They just went, well, he said there'd be a donkey. It's tied there. I'll get it. But they didn't fully understand the significance of it at that time. We understand the significance of it. I love what Pastor Dave talked about regarding the Lamb of God. Because sometimes we can focus on Palm Sunday about the king and his kingdom, which is good and true and real and all of that. But what made a way for that, what makes him worthy, more worthy than any other king, what sets him apart is the fact that he came as a sacrifice for the people. He came to be broken and poured out before he was glorified. We used to sing a song, This is Jesus in His Glory. And it was all about Him dying on the cross. And that was His glory. That was being, we we were worshiping Him as the Lamb of God. As Dave said, He was entering on a very important day, on Lamb Selection Day. On the day of the lambs. This would have been the time when the the temple shepherds were shepherding lambs from most likely, historians don't agree, they don't really agree on everything or anything really, but most likely shepherding them from Bethlehem where the temple lambs were raised. How about that? And so the temple shepherds are, are shepherding the lambs in to be the sacrifice, the sacrifice that had to happen every year over and over and over and over again. And still could not fully cover, could not fully redeem, could not fully deliver the people. But Jesus was coming in on that very same day as the final, the once and for all sacrifice. Again, Josephus, the historian, estimates that probably around 265,000, 265 with three zeros. <laughs> I'm good with words, not with numbers. That many lambs were being brought into the city at that time to be inspected. That was, that was the price just, just to pay for a year. How's that for a subscription cost? Every year, gallons and gallons of blood. So they were being, they were being brought in for the days of inspection and preparation knowing that they could only temporarily cover their sins. What's interesting is Jesus also came to be inspected. And there was a point when it was said, I can find no fault in him. There was a statement made about his spotlessness. And it helps us to remember that he was without blemish. So Jesus was coming as the once for all sacrificial lamb, perfect and pure. And this is, 
language that's all throughout uh, the, the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For Christ, our, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In Hebrews, it says, He sacrificed for sins once and for all when he offered himself. Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. In 1 Peter, it says, You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. In the book of Revelation, 20 or more times, it refers to Christ as the lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. It says in Revelation that they, meaning us, the saints, overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so we see from Genesis, from the very beginning, when we have this type and shadow with Abraham offering Isaac. And in Genesis, the very beginning, he says, God himself will provide a lamb. This was, was working to this moment from way back here in Genesis, thousands of years before. Everything was leading up to this moment where the lamb that God was providing after Thousands of years of sacrifice and still not being free of the curse of sin and death. The Lamb of God that was about to take care of it for all time is walking through the gate. We cannot overstate the significance of this. Do we understand what that means for us, the fullness of that? And so from Genesis to Revelation, he is hailed, he is prepared for as the Lamb of God, and then worshipped as the Lamb of God. Revelation 5.12 says, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so as we hail him as king, we can also worship him as the Lamb who was slain, as the one who came to redeem us as the perfect one, so that I don't have to be, because my perfection is found in him. <laughs> this would be a very different kind of service if it wasn't for that moment. We'd be bringing in lambs. <laughs> I am really glad. <laughs> I don't think I want to preside over that. We worship the lamb who was slain. We worship a king. But really, the glory of who he is is in the title of Lamb of God, our Redeemer. So they are acknowledging him as well as a king. We talked about the donkey. And here's what they're shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna was... First of all, they're acknowledging that this is the king who's coming in the line of David. That was an important declaration. Because it's essentially saying he is the Messiah. He is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. Hosanna is a statement that is basically beseeching to save us. Please save us. And in some ways, they're, they're already celebrating that he is coming to save them. 
It was different than what they thought it was going to look like. But they are, they are saying, you are coming to save us. Please save us. They were crying out for the coming of his kingdom, for a rule and reign that would rescue them from the unjust, corrupt, oppressive kingdom that they were living in. And they were proclaiming that their king has come to rescue them and establish his kingdom. This declaration means we are no longer looking for another savior. We are no longer looking for another savior. And I feel like there's something of an invitation of the Lord today to make that declaration for ourselves. I am no longer looking for another savior. There are things that that we are experiencing that feel like like we need a new kingdom. <laughs> But then we begin to turn to other things. We begin to turn to other places of salvation. Other ways that we're going to be saved from this oppression in our lives. Other ways that I'm going to be saved from this fear. Other ways that I'm going to be saved from this battle in my mind. Other ways that we're going to be saved in our culture. Other ways that we're going to be saved from the brokenness in our family. Other ways that we're going to be saved. And today we have an opportunity to make the declaration, our salvation is only in you. You are the one that we're looking for. And our declaration isn't fickle like theirs. Our declaration comes with the knowledge, you are the one that I'm looking for. If there is a restlessness in you that has been looking for the salvation, save me from this oppression I feel. Today is a day that you can say, Jesus, you're the one I'm looking for. You are the one that came to save. You are the rescuer. I'm not looking for another rescue, a different rescue. I feel like he's settling some things in our hearts. We don't need to look elsewhere for salvation. I believe there's a cry rising up in the church, in the people of God, that says, we know there's no other way. We know that it comes only through you. You are our salvation. I saw a quote that I felt just really resonated with what we're talking about today. It says, there's no argument that will win the day. There's no policy change that is going to rescue our future. There's no politician or party who can reverse the course of our nation. Our only hope is the salvation of Christ and the transformative power of his spirit. This is what we're entering into today. This is what we're entering. I believe we're we're journeying into this over the next several weeks. Today, we are hailing a king and his kingdom. And after Resurrection Sunday, we're going to begin to explore your kingdom come. What does that look like? What did not, what are we waiting for? 
Because the reality is what we're declaring today is your kingdom has come. Your kingdom has entered. Today we get to make that declaration. And over the coming weeks we get to explore what do we have in his kingdom? What did the king bring in with him? But I feel like the gateway to that for us is this place of of saying, we hail you as the only king who can rescue us. We hail you as the only sacrifice that needs to be made. We hail you as the only way to our salvation. And we, we usher in your kingdom. We don't just add you to ours. We don't just say, you can come and be on our board. But it's this submission to who he is. His kingdom is the only kingdom that cannot fail. History has proven that. This Roman kingdom from which they were crying out for deliverance from, that they were saying, rescue us from this. Kingdoms like that have come and gone several times. But he brought in a kingdom that cannot fail, that is increasing from the day that he came. This is the kingdom that we're part of. This is the kingdom that we are worshiping. This is the king that we're ushering in. Jesus did come to conquer an enemy. He came to conquer sin and death. And that affects everything else. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He didn't just come to free us from the temporary bondage of another nation. He came to free us from bondage forever in every possible way. This is our rescuer. If I have a choice of having this little rescue from this one circumstance or this huge rescue from every possible oppression in my life, I'll take this. This is the king that we're ushering in today. This is the king that we get to worship and and herald the arrival of his kingdom. And so where we're moving towards, hopefully, is an opportunity to really wholeheartedly surrender ourselves to this king. To once and for all say, I'm picking a kingdom. I'm choosing a kingdom. It's the kingdom that you brought. And there are times when you do not do what I think you're going to do as the king of this kingdom. But I am surrendered to you. Because I know that your kingdom is the only kingdom that will not fail. When Jesus was confronted by Pilate in John 18.35, Pilate is going back and forth. Poor Pilate. 
That was not his day. And he says, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. We need to recognize that his kingdom is not of this world, but it has infinite effect on this world. But it's not of this world. And when we begin to frame these spiritual truths with an earthly mindset, we lose the fullness of what he brought. We lose the fullness of the kingdom that he came to give us. Maybe you're disappointed, like they were, in the way that the king showed up. Maybe you had hoped that when he came into your circumstances, that he would do a particular thing. And you've been disappointed by that. And you've been disillusioned by that. Maybe there are places in your life where you feel like you're still waiting for him to show up. Where is your kingdom in this situation, God? Whatever it is, both can be addressed by the cry, Hosanna, to the king, save us. You're the only way. That there is a submission that he's leading us into in his kingdom. This is really the significance. I don't know why we don't call it cloak Sunday or coat Sunday. Because scripture tells us that in addition to palms, they threw their coats, their cloaks, on the ground in front of him. And this was, this, again, this was rich in symbolism. This wasn't the only time this had ever happened. When Elisha, the prophet, anointed Jehu as king in Israel, it says they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. And what this meant was a willingness to bow before the king and to yield to his rule. For them, one of the most valuable things that they owned were their coats, their cloak. That was an expensive thing, depending on who you were, more expensive or less. They had brand names too, kind of. And there was this thing that says, everything I have of value, I'm yielding to you. I'm laying this down before you, at your feet. I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering it to you. There's even an aspect of uncovering themselves to lay it down. Not fully. They weren't naked, I promise. But there was this surrender to the lordship of the king. It was done also in the royal anointing and coronation of Solomon. It says, therefore, the crowds spread clothing and palm fronds before Solomon. And in the same way that they did this for Jesus, 
It was deeply rooted in the coronation of a king, symbolic of honor, submission, and willingness to bow before him and yield up all that they possessed for his rule. This is the invitation this morning. This is the invitation that we have I believe that Jesus is reestablishing his kingly rule in every aspect of our lives. I believe that the church at large, and this church specifically, is being invited to reassert the lordship of Jesus. To reassert not that we've just added him to our structure of power or that we've added him to our kingdom that we feel like we, we want to build, but that we are coming in submission to a king in his kingdom and saying there is no other way. There is no other way to bring the things of the kingdom but through you, Jesus. There is no other way but through a surrendered life. And there's this, this place where we've been kind of tottering between kingdoms. Is tottering a word? Teetering? Teeter-tottering. Teeter-tottering. <laughs> we've been teetering. We've been on the fence between kingdoms. And he's inviting us into choosing his kingdom in a, in a deeper way. I even believe we're all choosing his kingdom in a lot of ways. But it's like an invitation to his lordship in more aspects of our life. That's what we're responding to today. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. We're going to take an opportunity before, here's the thing, the kids are getting a word today about King Jesus and his kingdom, and about the significance of Palm Sunday, and there is something in our kids that in a lot of ways can more easily receive the kingdom. I'm not saying that, Jesus said that. So they, they can enter into that and they can um, receive that with joy and we're going to have them come and help us with that in a minute. But I feel like we need to deal with this place that responds to the fullness of his kingdom and recognizes even in those places where I've been surprised that you haven't showed up like this, I'm declaring that your way is better that you are bringing a better kingdom. That, that I want to be like those who were fully surrendered, who were willing to lay down everything. If you're not sure whether or not you've ever truly said yes to his kingdom, today is a good day for that. We know that 
We can't even, Jesus said in John, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. And he says you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. There's an invitation to come into that salvation experience with Jesus where you recognize your need for a savior, you recognize that that you need him to come and save you, and you receive him as that, as the sacrifice on your behalf. And you step into that new birth with him, and then you begin to see the kingdom. You begin to see things differently. If you need to say yes to that, let today be the day that you do that. For many of us, we have said yes, and we get to say an even deeper yes today to his kingdom. That we trust what you're doing, and we say all of your ways are perfect, and you are the only way of salvation. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.